Hello, five listeners. Welcome to Perhaps It's You, the unofficial Unsolved Mysteries podcast. We don't have our official intro today. Just I didn't write it down. Yeah, just don't sue us, Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> and also, we're on episode nine. If you're watching along with Amazon. That should be our introduction every time. Please don't see us on Mysteries. If you're Mysteries. listening, lawyers for Unsolved Mysteries. This is an unofficial rewatch podcast. <laughs> Do you have any updates for our listeners? I have one, like, correction. Okay. Addition to our, our last, not our last, our last episode was our Halloween special. The episode before that, we once again forgot to rate the episode. Oh, yeah, we sure did. <laughs> Which is funny because the episode before that... We forgot to rate the episode. The last episode, the last case was such a bummer. We like got so distracted. We got like so distracted. Can we move on. That we're just like, let's not even think about this anymore because it was about the death of a four-year-old, and we just jumped right to the recommendations to cleanse the palate. Also, we're very unorganized, as is already apparent. We are today. true professionals. Yeah, exactly. Think back two weeks. <laughs> what would you rate that episode on a Robert Stacks? I don't know. It was, was good, right? I think so. I don't even really remember. <laughs> I know I liked the fashion. In five it. out of five Robert Stacks. I don't know. Let's just say four. Okay, sure. We That one got four. Do we have a most valuable mustache? Um, I don't know. That it was did. those two guys from the prison re- oh, okay. reenactment. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. one with the, the curly... The curly red mustache where he had a really low-cut prison uniform. And <laughs> yes. then the guy behind him that had the bushiest mustache How beard combo. I forget? If you want to see the mustaches that we discuss on the show, you need to follow our Instagram account that Samantha very successfully manages. <laughs> Perhaps it's Perhaps you. Perhaps it's you. There was also just a lot of mustaches in that episode. So I posted four like um, honorable mentions. The mustaches, they're all pretty great. They weren't as good as, as the, the guys that tied for MVM. But. Sure. Well, how could they be? That's a high a high standard. <laughs> the highest of standards. <laughs> the highest of standards. Hashtag most valuable mustache. If you search that hashtag on Instagram, you'll see all of them. <laughs> so, And also, that's just a fun thing to type. Yes. <laughs> right? I, I enjoy it every every time. Um, let's you, see. You other- yes, I want to thank Stephanie for taking our oh my god photos. Stephanie's incredible. Stephanie Mata, friend of the pod, took some promo photos of us with an inflatable alien. <laughs> she was so, and they came out so good. Not only did they come out good, but she was so on board. We're like, can we go into the woods <laughs> and stand on this mulch pile <laughs> and pretend that we're. We're discovering a dead body. And she was like, sure. She was like, yeah. Go for it. And I don't know. We look great. It doesn't look ridiculous that we're standing there with an inflatable alien. I mean, it looks like the right amount of ridiculous. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, I sent the photos the day after we got them to my fiance, Travis. And he was like, how did that turn out so perfect? (laughs) I know. (laughs) The ones with with Robbie Stacky, the alien Robbie Stacky, our inflatable alien, who's just... Right now, like, half inflated on our porch because I had him sort of up as a Halloween decoration, the laziest Halloween decoration ever, where I just propped him up, like, against the screen, like, ah! And I was like, all right, that's I'm done decorating for Halloween. Here's an alien. But, um, yeah, the photos are amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Stephanie. You can see them on our Facebook page yes. and also on our Instagram. So follow us on all – or and Twitter, actually. We're at Perhaps It's You on all platforms. Yeah, if We'd you want to see me follow. do a terrible do- job at Twitter, no, go you do a great job. Follow at us there. I, I can't handle Twitter. I, I get f- overwhelmed by it. I've said this before. I'm just bad at Twitter, so it's, I'll go on like it's once its a week. Own weird world. I'll look at what Liz has been posting, and I'm like, wow, she does a great job. And then I immediately get off. I finally got Unsolved Mysteries to like one of my tweets. 
Which I assume just means we're going to get sued. Yeah, it's, it makes me a slightly bit nervous, but... They've seen us. They know we're here. <laughs> not using any copyrighted material, so... I don't even think we do... We are really erring on the side of caution, right? I think so. Please? <laughs> Please say that's true, legal minds. So. Um, other update is that the satanic memorial that was supposed to be coming to Bell Plain, Minnesota, mm-hmm. has been canceled... Oh, I'm shocked. And now the Satanic Temple is suing Bell Plain. Oh, okay. Because if you recall from a couple weeks ago, listeners, a slightly religious monument was made for veterans in the cemetery, which showed a soldier kneeling in front of a cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Satanic Temple sued and said, then we get to put up a Satanic monument. Yes. Uh, and there was a big legal hubbub about that. So Bell Plain decided, okay, we'll make this like free speech zone and yeah. you can put your monument in it. But they've retracted that. The thing about that I don't quite understand, because the Satanic Temple isn't in Bell Plain, right? There's not like a, a Satanic Temple down the street, you know, no. Main Street in Bell Plain. They're from Michigan, I think. So it confuses me slightly that the Michigan Satanic Temple picked Bell Plain, Minnesota. To make the stand. I, I don't understand why. There's probably a reason. Maybe. I'm assuming someone made a complaint that there was a religious monument on public property. And so Maybe they're sort it. of taking a stand for the separation of church and state. But yeah. Which I, is a stand I agree with. But I can also kind of see from the people of Bell Plain standpoint. That I was like, maybe oh, a little bit of they hostility. should let their beat th- this go up because it'll be a great tourist attraction. Like Samantha and I would go see the Satanic Monument, and then I was like, that's probably the last. Thing I was going to say they don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> they like, don't want Satanists. In coming. my mind, I was like, oh no, it'll be cool, and that'll get people to go to their little town. It's like, no, they don't want their little town overrun by Satanists. That's their worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. Because there was happens. supposed to be one in. I feel like Oklahoma was supposed to get a satanic monument, and then that didn't end up happening for some reason. So this would be, like, the first one if it went up. We will definitely go get our picture taken in front of it. I But see, that's what they don't want. <laughs> yeah, but they can't stop us. They can't stop us. <laughs> if it actually exists. So, yeah, if it ever goes up, try, you'll hear it from us. Yeah. So And you'll see our photo not, yeah. of, of me giving a peace sign in front of the satanic <laughs> monument, <laughs> grinning from ear to ear. Finally. I feel like that. I feel like that was the only update. That's all I, I got. don't know. Should we Two jump into the mysteries? Seems so long ago. I know it feels like forever since we've done this. Since we pre-recorded our Halloween special, which I'm sure you all adored so much, <laughs> we got some good feedback learned, about it. People seem to enjoy. Learned a little bit about the history of Halloween, and thanks to the state of Minnesota for trick or treating. Yep, you're welcome. Yep. All right, let's jump into episode nine. I have an unexplained death. And this is a very interesting case and seems to me like quintessential unsolved mysteries. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because this has, like, layers of mystery to it and is very mysterious. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is the death of Kurt Sova. Not to be confused with Kurt McFall. We already (laughs) did that one. (laughs) It takes place in Ohio. So back on October 28th, 1981, 17-year-old Kurt departed for a Halloween party He was not seen alive by his family again. So this is a Friday night. Uh, He goes out. His parents don't really know where he's going, but he's a good kid. They're not too worried about it. He never comes home. So they spend Saturday, which is unusual for him. Usually he was home by like 11. He never stayed out all night. 
So they spend Saturday looking for him, and by Sunday, they report him as a missing person. Um, They spend the weekend looking all over the town, putting up flyers. Eventually, his body is found in a ravine five days after his disappearance, but he's only been dead for a little over a day. So the mystery is, first of all, from the autopsy, it's not clear how he died. That was one of the questions I had, which was how accurate was the time of death if they couldn't determine the cause of death? That's a really good question because I am a little dubious that this autopsy was well done. I was too. The It was a coroner who did the autopsy, right? I think so. And he just seemed fishy to me. <laughs> I don't know. It's- Something about the way he talked about it with... He was, he had like a hundred percent certainty that like he, the time of death was a hundred percent right. And like typically when like people who are science minded never say like we can prove with a hundred percent accuracy that something is That's true. true. They always say it's, you know, it suggests like the evidence suggests that this is That's most likely, point. you know, he just spoke in a way that made me feel like, I don't know. It's very odd that a healthy 17 year old would leave the house be found dead, and then there'd be absolutely no cause of death. That's very odd. It was odd to me, too. It's also odd that he is found in a ravine, and there don't seem to be signs of a fall. He didn't have shoes on. One shoe was found, Mm -hmm. and then the other shoe was never found. The other question I wrote down regarding that was, how do they know that he was placed there? Because they said he, it's, it appears that he was placed in this ravine. But what evidence? Was there drag marks? Was there It seems like that was tire based solely on the fact that there was not evidence of a fall to the body. Yeah, but he wasn't like at the bottom of a cliff. He was in a wide open, open space. Yeah. So like he could have, the other thing is that he was drinking heavily, which even though his mom says that he never drank. Bless her heart. I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> I mean, all his friends were like he was drinking heavily. So what if he wandered out there? She said, "Like, look, he wasn't much of a drinker. If if his friends were drinking at this party, then he probably was drinking." She wasn't in total denial. That's true. She said that he wasn't a drinker. So if he was drinking a lot, that he probably was a lightweight, essentially. Yeah, which makes sense, right? He's seventeen. It sounds like he went to a party where he didn't know most of the people. Mm -hmm. Like maybe he got invited from a friend of a friend. Um, So he goes to this Halloween party. Does he end up? drinking too much because he doesn't know his tolerance, right? Yeah. Does he, I don't know, get alcohol poisoning? Someone brings him outside because he's sick, and then that's the last that anybody will admit to having seen him. Admit to it. Admit to it. Because when his mother, who was really a sweetheart, and my heart just goes out to her, was looking for him, She learned of this Halloween party. She went over to the duplex where it was, and they were denying that there had been a party. People were saying, oh, the the person you're looking for is not home. Mm -hmm. You know, she had that person call her, and she was, like, denying that anything had happened. She seemed to point to this as being nefarious. I just thought if some lady shows up at your door and asks what a party you had last week, are you going to be like, yeah, we had a wild rager where everyone (laughs) was underage drinking? Like, you're going to be like, no, lady, we didn't have a party. Like, that doesn't mean that they're keeping him in the basement on a cot, which is what she (laughs) said. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) I mean, I think you would hope that if someone was missing that you would be a little bit more forthcoming. Maybe they didn't know that this was the mom of a missing kid. Yeah, to me, it struck 
she just showed up and was like, was there a party? And this girl was like, like no, uh, no, no, of course not. And then, I don't know, it turned out pizzas had been delivered there and all the neighbors knew they had a party. So that lie didn't really hold up. No. She found someone at the party who had brought him outside where he was sick. When that person went outside again, he was gone. Nobody, at least is saying what happened to him after that. Um, there's an eyewitness who, I think this was on Monday, didn't know he was miss- missing or reported missing and saw him get into a van with a friend not like he was pushed into a van or coerced into a van but he's like walking down the street someone named he calls to someone named franco who no one knows who that is and then he like hops in the van and drives off and that guy was like oh i don't know who those people are and then later found out he was missing it was like oh i should have done something i was wondering like do we really think that eyewitness is credible uh, no. Yeah, I was like, that might have not even been him. It was the weirdest story. It it's like someone driving down the street. I mean, I guess they were friends. You, I don't know. Sometimes I just think I see someone that I recognize and I don't, yeah. right? I'm like, oh, is that Samantha? And it's like, no, it's another blonde with a ponytail. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. It didn't seem to hold it up It didn't to me. seem super credible. You can't credible. Co- corroborate it with anything. And Before Kurt's body was found... Someone at the duplex called the home to say, it's possible Kurt is sleeping in the basement, which they would never, didn't really confirm or deny. This is weird. Yeah. So the Kurt's dad was like, it's just people fucking with you, essentially. And the mom was like, you have to check it out. You have to check it out. So he goes over there. He looks in the basement. There's no sign of Kurt. There is a cot. And then he was like, "There's. it's clearly someone slept in this cot. How do you know? Was it warm? I don't understand. He was like, someone was just here. Again, I don't know how they knew that. How would you know that? It gave that impression, I guess. But also, he's like desperate to find his son. Yep. And then a couple days later, he's found in a ravine where people had supposedly already searched. And supposedly, he wasn't dead yet. I don't so know. it seems like he was alive for a couple of days while missing and then died and then placed in the ravine. Yeah, so they're speculating that for some reason he, like, was kept in the basement against his will because he was sick or something and his friends, like, were trying to keep him alive. I didn't really understand. It seems like the wackiest theory ever. I mean, this case is unsolved, Mm -hmm. I'll say right now. No one knows what happened. Uh, And both of Kurt's parents have passed away by this point. So they went to the grave not knowing what happened. It's very mysterious because if we're to believe the autopsy, then he was alive but missing and not contacting his parents for a few days before turning up dead, which if you watched Riverdale, it's kind of similar to that. (laughs) Um, That's the strange part because you would have, in order to believe the simplest answer, which is he got drunk and wandered off, or perhaps he died from binge drinking at the party, his friends, quote unquote, panicked and then dumped him in a ravine. Those seem like the most basic explanations, but then you have to dismiss the autopsy finding. That was my first assumption was there was an accident or he died from alcohol poisoning Mm -hmm. and the people at the party who didn't know him that well didn't want to take responsibility for it and just ditched his body, which is sad and horrible, but not particularly mysterious. Right. 
But that doesn't explain these missing days, and it doesn't no. explain how they searched the, r- the ravine yeah. and didn't find him. And apparently he was wearing, like, brightly colored clothes. Yeah, like, there's no know. reason they would have missed him. There wasn't, like, a lot of brush or something. Right. And the other thing I thought of was they mentioned in the Unsolved Mysteries segment that it was a chilly night and he didn't have his coat. And ba- his friend, if you're going to believe him, brought him outside, went inside to get his coat. When he came out, Kurt was gone. So if he wandered off because he was completely wasted and got lost in the woods and died of exposure, that's another simple explanation. Right. Not mysterious. But Not- again, we'd have to dismiss the autopsy findings. Yeah. So it's a strange. There's, there's another mysterious piece of the puzzle that I kind of just don't believe at all, which was that when they put up the flyers that Kurt was missing. Oh, my God, this. One of them was on a record store window. And a guy came into the record store and said, you might as well take that down. He's going to be found dead in two days and no one's going to know why. And the manager of the record store went, oh, that's weird. And the guy left. And then that's exactly what happened. Wasn't it actually like a teenage girl or something that was? She was the manager. Oh, she was? Okay. Yeah. Because I thought there's just a lot of bored kids in this town that are that think it's funny to like play I these jokes on people. I sort of just felt like she entirely made that up. Yeah, they're getting bored and making up these stories because this is the most exciting thing that's happened in their town in a long time, right? Um, like, and yeah, supposedly this guy was like a drifter from Detroit. And he wore a trench coat yeah. in the and then And they, they police questioned him, but Kurt hadn't been found dead yet, so they let him go. It all seemed like horseshit to me. I didn't believe any of it. Me neither. But that's supposedly an element that makes it a little creepier, I guess. Except yeah. that I just think that she's lying. Yep. I'm <laughs> sorry. Too. Same with that That's kid in the van. That's my personal opinion. I, I think the kid in the van is like legitimately just wrong. Yeah, maybe he saw someone get into a van. But... Yeah, I think he's just mistaken. I don't know that he's like Making trying to get attention or something. I just, you know, eyewitness testimony is just not so reliable. Right. And That's true. You saw people get in the van. I don't know. Maybe he saw Kurt get in the van. But that doesn't explain to me why he wouldn't have told his parents where he was. Because they were so genuinely distraught. And there wasn't like they had had a fight or I don't know. It seems like if he was avoiding his parents, his parents would have been more aware of that. Right? Right. They seem to think he was a good, normal kid. And then suddenly they're speculating that he's hiding from them because he was drinking. So he slept in a basement for five days or something. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. It's hard to come up with a theory that if you accept all of these pieces of evidence, it's really hard to come up with a theory that incorporates all of these details. Yes. The other thing that is strange is that after Kurt's death, a friend of Kurt's, or at least someone Kurt knew, was also found dead in a ravine a few miles away. Yes. And that is Eugene Kett. He was 13, so they probably weren't great friends. Okay, yeah, he was an acquaintance of seven. This is off of Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, which is the best. You know, my savior. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a ravine two and a half miles away. He was also found missing a shoe, except that there's not this missing time element to Eugene's death, and it's also evident that he died from a fall. Okay. So it seems like it's just a weird, horrible coincidence. Yeah. They were like the same shoe was missing. So yeah, I mean, he, this is evidence of him. Eugene fell, yeah. though. So I'm assuming one of his shoes fell off in a fall. Right. Not that his body. It doesn't. There's nothing else to suggest his body was moved. They know how he died. It doesn't seem like he was kept somewhere. 
they just happen to be from the same area. I mean, it's sad. And also both of <sighs> Eugene's parents have passed away. <laughs> so it's possible this will never be solved. I don't think it will be. It does seem like a case where someone knows something. Like yeah. someone at that party probably has more information than they were willing to come forward with. Yeah, I agree. But at this point, if they haven't come forward by now, it seems pretty unlikely they will. And considering Kurt's parents have already passed away. That's a bummer. It's a bummer. Mm. But if you want to leave Kurt a note, you can go on Find a Grave. Yeah. Say goodbye. Leave a little note on Kurt's Find a Grave page. Yeah. Something to brighten the mood. There was a guy who I think could be on MVM in this, in this segment. Oh, okay. It was Lieutenant Robert Karras. And I wrote down, and it's been several days since I watched this, so I'm having trouble picturing it. I'm just going off my notes. I wrote down, tall mustache, a lot of surface area between the nose and lip. A lot of surface area. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go back and get a screenshot because I haven't yet. That's amazing. Um, the, the, sure. I, I, I knew, you know, it struck me enough that I, like, highlighted it as being a potential MVM. The other thing that I loved about the reenactments for this segment was how much denim Oh yes. The so fashion in this episode is great. Denim. So and much high-waisted denim with denim jackets. With denim jackets. So you're getting practical Canadian tuxedos. <laughs> yeah, really really good looks. Yep. I liked the mom's glasses. Yeah, the Kurt reenactments. Apparently, he only owned denim items of clothing. <laughs> all the kids in this town only wore Which, denim. You know what? That's probably pretty realistic. <laughs> um, this Halloween party looked lame because no one was dressed up, but Maybe, I actually didn't even remember that it was a Halloween party until you just said that. Maybe it didn't look like that, one at all. That just reveals what I want in a Halloween party <laughs> and not what 17-year-olds pretending to be cool want in a Halloween party. It didn't even look party. like a cool party if it no, wasn't it Halloween. Looks, it was just a bunch of kids standing around. It, well, I mean, I guess that's what parties are, but well, it looks bad. It shows how much partying I did as a kid. <laughs> I'm like, this looks lame. Yeah. Oh, I wrote down that the local record store seems to only serve creeps in sunglasses because not only was the person that supposedly came in and said, take down that flyer wearing a trench coat and sunglasses, but the like extra just shopping in the store was dressed the same way, <laughs> which is that that's, that's just, like, what goes to record stores. That's just, oh, okay. Um, youths in trench coats. Youths in trench coats wearing sunglasses inside. Uh, yeah, I, it, it is an interesting case. There's just not... We just don't know. Oh, bummer. Bummer. This is the downside of some Unsolved Mysteries segment, that some of them are still Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. And they probably always will be. That one... I don't really see how they could... Solve it. Solve it now. I it's, It does seem like the autopsy maybe was not the best. They were calling it a diagnosis by exclusion, yeah. Ruling it a that. probable accident. And it that basically just means we don't know. Yeah. That's, that's, another that's reason science why. for just shrugging. <laughs> basically. Yeah. That's another reason why I didn't find him very credible. But, I mean, we have no reason not to. Yeah. Other than gut feelings. We don't have any reason no, to dismiss the autopsy. No. So, it is mysterious. It's mysterious. And go to better Halloween parties, I think, yes. is the lesson here. And I'm sorry for Kurt. Me too. So the next one is a Lost Loves. Oh, Lost Loves. Our favorite type <laughs> of non-mysteries. <laughs> so. Yeah, really not very mysterious, but go on. It's not mysterious, but these tend to be kind of sweet stories, so. It's a good balance to horrible deaths. That's true. They're, it's nice to sprinkle in some Lost Loves. <laughs> Get a little hope. 
<laughs> so on in April 1975, in South Vietnam, Saigon fell to the North Vietnamese. Robert Stack says that thousands of refugees fought to leave the country. One of them was John Nellis, who was the son of a Vietnamese woman and an American soldier. In the middle of the night, John and his wife-to-be, Vivian, jumped into the back of a truck for the first step in a journey that would take them to the United States. They narrowly avoided being shot by angry South Vietnamese troops. Which, Unsolved Mysteries clearly blew all of their budget on that reenactment. Yes, with the helicopters. Guys and... shooting at trucks. I was like, whoa. It was some, yeah. Yeah. High production value for the <laughs> service. By Unsolved Mystery standards. Yes. Yes. By no other standards. <laughs> John is interviewed by Unsolved Mysteries, and he says that he was terrified and that he was thinking the whole time, will we make it? He goes on to say that we thought we were getting a chance to get out of the country, but we didn't know exactly where we were going, which sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Absolutely. They did manage to escape, but Robert Stack says that the turmoil in John's life continues. And then we launch into the life story of John's father, Melvin. So Melvin Nellis was an American serviceman, serviceman whom John's mother met during the mid-1940s in Chongqing, China. Melvin Nellis was stationed in Chongqing during the Chinese Revolution. When John was five years old, his father was shipped back to the United States. Unfortunately, and it's not explained why, John's father and mother were not legally married, so she had no rights to go with him to the United States. And those reenactments were the most, like, loveless family reenactments ever. Yeah, he was like, I have to leave now, bye. And she's, like, making him dinner, and she, I don't know. Like, there was, like, absolutely no chemistry between those people to the point where it seems like they hated each other. Which might just be those actors. I I, I think they're just not very good actors. (laughs) She's like, here's some rice. And he's like, yeah, thanks. (laughs) That was his family life. Pretty much. I wish they would have explained why they hadn't gotten legally married. They had five years after John was born. You'd think that his father would have known that if I ever get shipped back to the United States, my family can't come with me unless we're married. Yeah. So, like, why not get married? I think he didn't really want them to come. That might be true because he kind of just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote on the Nel- Melvin promised to write his wife, but eventually the letters just stopped. And then I, oh, I put in parentheses, what a dick. Yeah, that's just cruel. And John never heard from his father again. So maybe you're right. Maybe he actually didn't want them to come with. I don't think he did. Which is sad. Can I say that? Yeah. That's just my own personal theory. I mean, that might be true. Because why would you stop writing to your family? Yeah. I mean, he never gets in touch with them again. And never tries to get them to the United States. Certainly he knows how the military works. He knows that he has to be married in order for her her and his child to come with. It seemed like he was, you know, away playing house. And then eventually was like, well, I'm going to get back to my real life now. Yeah, and, that was fun. Bye. And didn't really care about these people. I agree. John's mother was originally from South Vietnam. So in 1952, she moved back. John's mother worked her ass off selling produce and saved enough money for him to go to private schools. Which, oh my God. How incredible. Ma- uh. It said, I think I wrote down. Oh yeah. It took her two thirds of her income to send him to a school where he could get a Western education and learn English because her plan all along was to eventually get him to the U S because in 1955, she took him to the U S embassy in Saigon to register him for immigration. Um, because she was afraid that she wouldn't be able to take care of him. I mean, she can't support both of them, but giving away almost all her income to send him to a good school. Um, she was able to prove that his father was an American citizen. So 
that benefited him later on when he was trying to get out of the country. So his mom really set him up for success, basically. She learned English, he got a good education, and she, she just basically like pre-registered him so that he could go to the U.S. And she sacrificed everything for him. She did. After his dad was a deadbeat. It's amazing, and it doesn't say what happened to her. Like, it doesn't say if she got out of Vietnam. We don't know. John and Vivian got out, but this is the last we hear about John's mother. We don't know if she also got out or if she was left behind, which is very sad. John went on. So after he he was still a kid at that point, and then it kind of skips ahead in his life. He went on to meet a woman and have a child with her, but then she left him in 1971 with their kid. The woman later married an American Marine, and John thought that she took his son to the U.S., which we learn later was not true. Anyway, back to the fall of Saigon, John and Vivian, who's... This guy's had a complicated life. He's had a complicated life. Later, he meets this woman named Vivian and gets engaged. They barely made it out. They were on one of the last planes that left Vietnam. When they arrived in America, they soon found out that John's son had never made it to the U.S. and he was still in Vietnam. So they assumed that she ran off with him to America because she married a Marine that wasn't true. Which is really sad. John and Vivian get married, and they live in a wealthy part of Orange County. John is an electronics technician. They became citizens in 1986, and they have a three-year-old daughter named Vienna, who's super cute. In the update, Robert Stack's... I wrote down, Robert Stack comes out of the shadows in a trench coat to tell us that thanks (laughs) to the broadcast, John learned that his father is now retired and living in Tokyo. Which I was sort of like, I realize that Tokyo is not... China and is not Vietnam, but I was a little bit like, seriously, guy, you moved back to Asia and yeah. never tried to get in contact with your son. Yeah. So, and it didn't really say if they're like in contact. It just says that he learned where his father is. So, yeah, I, don't know. I was sort of like, fuck you, guy. Pretty much. It just seems like a huge dick move to not make an effort to support your child. I just feel like if once he found his father and the father was like, oh my goodness, I've spent all this time trying to find you, that would have been included in the update. Yeah, it wasn't. It just said that he found out where it his father is. It was just like, is. we know where their dad is. It doesn't say that they reconnected. No. So, but it did say that, incredibly, three weeks after John was reunited, after he found out about his father, John was reunited with his son, Daniel. It had been more than 17 years. Somehow, they were able to fly him from Vietnam. It didn't say how they arranged that. To the U.S. where he met his father. It was The reunion was super cute. His father had, like, an American flag. His son looked so excited. And his son, I guess, is went on to live with them in America. Um, Daniel's outfit was a little distracting. <laughs> I don't even know what that print was that he was wearing. It's you know, it was like a time capsule. I'm sure that was his nicest shirt. It was. I remember my brother having a lot of shirts like that. <laughs> it was so oversized. It had this weird floral print. Yeah, but it was yeah. really sweet, and he was so excited. He was really excited. They shared the world's most awkward hug. Yep, because. Imagine, no, that's the thing. Like, imagine you're coming to a country you've never been to before. You're meeting your father you haven't seen in 17 years. You're also meeting your stepmom and a sister that you've never met before. And TV cameras are there. (laughs) And people are speaking a language that you're not familiar with. Yeah, he didn't know English at all. And Robert Stapp was like, oh, it was overwhelming for Dan. I was like, you think? Like, (laughs) it's basically like everything is happening at once. But he was very excited to see his dad and start his new life. And I mean, it had a sweet ending. I wish that family all the best. Oh my God. Yeah, I wish I knew what 
what they I mean I I'm assuming they went on to do great things. Let's just it sounds assume. like John and Vivian really picked themselves up from nothing and went yeah, on to Yeah, he had live like a good a, job. He had become an American citizen. It's the like a, sort of immigrant story that every conservative loves of like hard work and this and that. It's well, the American dream. You story. overcome your your For circumstances because sure. this guy had a very complicated chaotic life of running from one conflict from to another. Being abandoned by his dad. And then getting going on to have a good job and a wife and kid and live in a mansion in Orange County. Yeah. It was, I mean. It, yeah, it's, it, you're right. It literally is the American dream. Yeah. So I wish all the best for them. Yeah. I hope, I hope Daniel got some better shirts, but other, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> other than they seem super nice. I hope, and I hope John's mother had a happy ending yeah, story. That's the part we, I guess we don't know. We never heard. And it seems like his dad's kind of a dick, but yeah. eh. You know, that's that. That's that. A little bit of a contrast to Boy Dead in Ravine. And Priest Killers, which and is what's coming up next. Priest Killers, <laughs> which is the my mystery. The only thing mystery. I wrote down about your mystery is that Robert Stack says when and where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's literally my only note. <laughs> I don't remember so, anything else. I'm doing... Uh, I put a lot of effort into this episode, guys. <laughs> we are when? professionals. Where? There's a reason we are the number one podcast on iTunes. Um, oh my goodness. Priest killer. Take priest it away. Priest killer. This is considered unexplained death. I, I mean, he's murdered. So is it, really, <laughs> is it really that unexplained? This is the death of Father Ronaldo Rivera that takes place out of Santa Fe, New Mexico in August 7th of 1982. I sort of enjoyed this mystery... Because I used to live in New Mexico, not in Santa Fe, but in Las Cruces. So I just felt like a little like nostalgic, like, oh, I like seeing these <laughs> like New Mexico landscapes and hearing New Mexico accents and stuff. But it's, it's not actually like a fun story. I just, <laughs> I just kind of enjoyed watching it. It's actually a tragedy. It's also but... a tragedy. Well, okay. Well, well tragedy? <laughs> Is that a phrase? Sure. Tragedy? Okay, so on the evening of August 7th, 1982, a call was placed to the rectory of St. Francis Cathedral in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, The caller claimed he was with his grandfather, who was about to die, and needed the last rites. The first priest who answered the phone was like, oh, I can't drive at night, because he's an old man. Can you call back in 15 minutes, and we'll get you another priest? So he calls back exactly 15 minutes later, and Father Ronaldo Rivera picked up the call, the caller wanted him to administer last rites at a rest stop near Waldo, New Mexico. First red flag. At a rest stop? Yeah, you need if you're dying at a rest stop, you need to call the police. Not a not a not the police. <laughs> I mean Yeah, like he's a, dying a peacefully at a rest stop. Yeah, he's dying peacefully of old age at a rest stop. I mean, I think the idea was that he would get picked up there, but that then, was like, like the rendezvous spot. But turn, why not just like out. go to the house or go to the hospital? Another red flag. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So Father R- Rivera gets in his car, drives to the rest stop, which is about 20 miles away, and he doesn't return. So he's reported missing. Hundreds of citizens from Santa Fe, Santa Fe volunteered to search for him, which just did kind of warm my heart. I feel like New Mexico has a real, like, community attitude yeah. where I feel like I definitely, while I was there, was like, if something happens to me, like, Everybody's gonna come people out are gonna and comb, help. comb the desert. To yeah, find, find absolutely. Your body. I feel like you know it has that that kind of community spirit, and apparently, tons of people knew Father Rivera. He was like a well known, well respected priest. Sure, he had touched a lot of lives, right? So everybody was out looking for him, and his body was found. 
three miles from the rest stop three days later, and he had been shot. The police began gathering evidence for the case, and they theorized that the killers, which they're convinced it was more than one person, uh, were waiting for him at the rest area, and when he arrived, they were they overpowered him at gunpoint. So the cop is talking about this on Unsolved Mysteries. I don't... <laughs> You can see Liz's face right now. She's trying to come up with a nice way of saying what she's about to say. Yeah, I just, I don't think he's the brightest bulb. (laughs) I really don't want to be cruel about this. But when he was saying like, oh, I feel like, you know, Father Rivera would have put up a fight and it would have taken more than one man to overpower him. This is an old man. Yeah. Being taken by surprise at a rest stop. By someone, and he was like, well, we know he had a gun because he was shot. I was like, that's some really amazing detective work right there. Thank you for that great insight. Yeah, do you think that one person with a gun could have shot him? Absolutely. He also didn't seem to understand, like, if you have a gun, like, that's enough. You don't actually have to overpower someone. If you 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 have a gun, you're like, I'm going to shoot you if you don't do this. Priest, get in the car or I'll shoot you. He didn't seem to understand that. The priest isn't going to, like karate chop has gone out of his hand and like do some sort of roundhouse kick in his face right like this little old man priest so i i reject that theory i reject the fact that that proves there's two killers anyway the car had been moved from the rest stop it was hidden in they eventually found the car but there was no additional evidence in it The place had a few leads, but it grew cold. And then two years later, Unsolved Mysteries is trying to convince you that there's a connection to another death of a priest. But it's two years later, Father John Kerrigan of the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Ronan, Montana, vanished. The next day, several bloody clothes were found at a highway by a fruit vendor. Uh, And then the next week, his car was found five miles away with blood on it. After his his wallet was found with like a shocking amount of money, I think it was like twelve hundred dollars. And I was like, why does a priest walk around carry with around that much cash? Twelve hundred cat. Oh, anyway, that seemed suspicious to me. But his body has never been found. A bloody coat hanger was also found with his clothes. They both belong to the Order of Franciscans. I, I'm not Catholic. That means nothing to me. No, I assume it just means they were both priests. Like the only thing <laughs> connecting these guys was that they were priests. Um, so, and they were murdered. Yeah, that's, that's they it. didn't know each other. They both received a phone call before they were killed, but we don't actually know how Father Kerrigan got died. His body was never found. The motive was not believed to be robbery because he had all that money, but his last rights kit was taken or was missing from his car anyway. Yeah, both are actually still unsolved. Unsolved Mysteries was suggesting that there was a serial killer going after priests based on two seemingly unrelated deaths. That one detective did think it was true, which makes me think it's definitely not true. (laughs) The thing that I thought about when I was watching this segment is like, if you're trying to rob someone, or maybe you just want to kill someone, and you're like, who can I get to come to me in the middle of the night? Well, I can get a priest, because I can call up this priest and say, I'm with someone who's dying. They need their last rites, and they're going to come. And they're not going to be armed, right? That's probably going to be a little defenseless old man. So... Right. I just, it's, he seemed like a, a vulnerable victim. You know, if you're someone trying to 
to rob someone. Another I, I reason don't know. that these two cases don't seem similar to me is in the first case, he calls, he gets one priest, and that guy's like, I can't drive at night. I'll get you an, you know, call back in another priest. That doesn't seem to be to a specific person, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't seem like a specific person is targeted. You know, maybe they just wanted to rob him. I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure. But the second case, it does seem like Father Kerrigan was specifically targeted. Right. Like, it wasn't just any priest. And actually, while neither of these cases are solved, it turns out that Father Kerrigan is allegedly suspected of child molestation. Okay. So you can see why he might have been targeted. So to go like, oh, he was a priest. He didn't have any enemies. Well, like, this is like (laughs) pre-spotlight, right? This Unsolved Mysteries case. Who would go after these priests? Well, (laughs) maybe the victim or the family member of you know, a victim right. targeted Father Kerrigan. Were any of those allegations proven? No, but he is on a list of allegedly abusive priests. Okay. There's no information like that about Father Rivera, and also it doesn't seem like he was specifically targeted. They were just trying to get a priest to come out to that truck stop. Right. So I don't think these two cases are connected. If, yeah, I don't think so. If, There's no evidence, really, except they're no. both priests. They're, they're a thousand miles away, and they're actually not not that similar. Uh, the idea of being gagged by a coat hanger sure is gross. Ugh. But uh, if he's actually a child molester, do I really care? <laughs> Can't claim that I do. Sorry. Yeah. Um, if he's like that priest from the Keepers, but good. Let's all go spit on his grave <laughs> that he doesn't have because no one found his body. <laughs> So the, the, the case of Father Rivera is a little bit more mysterious. Is that, yeah, like a robbery gone wrong? Right. Is that... We it don't... really did seem like, yeah, if you're trying to get someone to come out in the middle of the night, call yeah. a priest. I don't know. That's... Yeah. I have nothing to back that up, but it seems plausible. I don't... Yeah. I don't know. It's not solved. He's shot. Yeah. If one person's being gagged with a hanger and one person's just being shot, again, not similar. No. I think that detective meant well. He was trying his best. He was trying his best. But I really was watching it like, I should have gone into law enforcement. (laughs) I would be be way better. No, I would be terrible at it. But I was like, I would be better than this guy. (laughs) No matter how bad I was. Um, Sorry to that dude if he's still out there. Um, Yeah, I just wrote down that they, so they showed father, wait, which one? (laughs) Sorry, Kerrigan. He was, like, a new priest in town, and they showed him going to this truck stop to, like, mingle with his constituents or whatever do you call them. Constituents? His congregants? His congregants. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this truck same stop. Same deaf. Yeah, same deaf. Whatever. They vote for you, right? <laughs> sure. Vote for priests. Right. Sure. Number one priest. Um, <laughs> my total lack of religious background is becoming, like, really apparent right now. Anyway, truck stop's so cute. I want to go there. <laughs> Where's the truck stop was pretty quaint. <laughs> it was so adorable. That's that's literally my last note on this case. Sure. Was love this truck stop. <laughs> Bloody hanger gag. Ew, gross. <laughs> we are professionals. Oh my goodness. That is the case of Father Ronaldo Rivera unsolved. And now for the <gasps> We have been waiting for this day, five listeners. I'm so excited and to talk about this mystery. Finally here. Ugh. It's finally it's just like Christmas, but this better. This is the best day. Yeah. This is... Take it away, Samantha. The magic rock. <sighs> if we find a magic rock, we will be the number one podcast on iTunes. We're also going to open a candy store. Yes. yes. So 
Robert Stack opens the story by saying that it is part Tom Sawyer and part Huck Finn and also like part fairy tale. I think I'm just going to laugh the entire time we're talking and I'm sorry. I can't help it. I just wrote, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's really not. It really has nothing to do with any of those things. No, there's boys playing in the woods. That's the only, that's, that, the, that's the only Tom just, Sawyer-esque. He just said a lot of words. Yeah. But yeah, no, that means Whatever. nothing. It's just word salad. <laughs> Two boys in the state of Washington find a large rock covered in strange symbols deep in the forest. Then a phenomenal run of good luck occurs. Is it a coincidence or something more? Or is this entire story completely made up? Which would be my theory, but go on. Saturday, May 14th, 1988. Deep in an isolated stretch of woods near the Canadian border. Which, where? We're near the Canadian border. I want to find this rock. If it's still there, we need to find it. 13-year-old Jamie Parr takes his friend Trevor Johnson along a creek. Jamie had found a special rock and was excited to show his best friend. Which, that's an adorable vision of childhood, (laughs) right? If you found, like, a really cool rock. They're, like, running through the creek. That sounds exciting. If I was a kid, I'd be excited. So what they find is definitely not a huge rock covered in bad graffiti. (laughs) No, of course not. in the reenactment speculate about where the writing could have come from. They discuss the possibility that people... Eons and eons ago may have scribbled it on the rock with a stick. Sure. Or, they pose, perhaps Martians came down from outer space and made the strange symbols. So Yeah. These are their theories. I mean, mean, they're children, and they're entitled to those theories. Sure. One of the boys (laughs) in the reenactment asserts that the only way someone could have carved those symbols in the rock would have been if the rock had been clay, or if it had been done by a space-age tool or something. Yeah. So clearly they don't understand how rocks work. I like that the kids like maybe Martian ca- Martians came and did it. It's really neat, <laughs> which is a really great like little white boy phrase. It's really neat. It's adorable. Yeah. So Trevor says that they should go tell his dad, which makes sense. That's what uh-huh. little boys sure. do. Trevor's dad, who I wrote needs to win MVM because yeah. he has a perfect half moon mustache. <laughs> I wrote down MVM Steve Johnson dash rock believer. <laughs> If you turned your computer or whatever you're watching on Solve Mysteries with sideways, it would be a half. It would be like a waning right. crescent moon. Yeah, he is a crescent moon on his lips, it's and beautiful. he wins. It's a it's a fantastic mustache, Trevor's dad. So he's interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries, and he says, "I felt just an immediate need to go down and see this rock. Upon seeing the rock, Trevor's dad <laughs> says, just a need that I've never felt in my life." At first, you think this is really cute. Like, his sons come and say, Dad, we found this really cool rock. And he's like, let's go see this rock. Like, it sounds like a cute thing. Like, a dad. Like, yeah. Sure. Like, like, most dads would be like, fucking leave me alone. You know? But his dad was like, no, I'm going to go down to the creek with you and look at this rock. But then, like, you can tell that Trevor's dad is, like, super into this. He says, I turned, and there was this beautiful rock with these markings on it. I've never seen anything quite like it. He goes on to say that I got a very immediate feeling that this rock had something to say. It really had something very positive to say about life to me. What? What? Was, I don't know. What was the thing that it had to say? I don't say? know what it was saying to him, but then he's shown in his like police uniform. He's a corrections officer. Yeah, when he goes to see the walk, is he holding a gun? He's it's, like, it's on his hip. He's like sitting in the stream, right? And he's like, He's sitting down, he's stroking the rock, looking at it, like he's just it's speaking <laughs> he very has important in his things hand. to him. It might be a walkie-talkie. Oh, I keep I, walk- I was he- so distracted by his face because he's looking at this rock, like it's he the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And Mac was like, is he holding a gun? <laughs> but I think it's a walkie-talkie. Like he was like, uh, over, magic rock. <laughs> Oh my god, but I'm just, you, you 
have to watch this episode of Unsolved Mysteries just oh for my the God, reenactments on the rock. You do. Because you know, they're playing like this like gentle flute music in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Nature sounds. It's like you're at a Renaissance fair or maybe playing some part of Legends of Zelda. Oh my God. Yeah, because that's a sound of magic, a flute. Yeah, you know, it's just... <laughs> The first time I watched this, I was like, oh my God, I just watched an Unsolved Mysteries about a magic rock. Like, what am I doing? literally what this is. What am I doing with my life? And now I've watched it like four or five times and I've made other people. Like, at first (laughs) I was like, I'll never get that time back. Why did I do? What am I doing? Everyone, stop what you're doing doing and watch this magic rock. You don't have to watch the rest of the episode. Skip to the last one. It's so, it's so good. Trevor, so how did their luck change once well, they saw this rock, Samantha? Well, first of all, Trevor's mom says that when I first saw the rock, I had the most eerie feeling. She says sure. it was a positive feeling, but that you just can't say the words that the rock makes you feel. I wrote that down, too. <laughs> and I just wrote, you sure can't. <laughs> <laughs> so then, basically, the Johnson's family begins to have a string of good luck that they attribute to the rock. They had been struggling financially previous to this. Trev- Trevor's mom took a job as a receptionist to help pay the bills, but they still found themselves in debt. Trevor's dad hated his job. They lived in a small, shabby apartment. Part of what put them in financial hardship was that they decided to open a shop in a new mall in town. Yeah, that's a bad financial plan when well, you're Well, yeah, they had hoped that the business endeavor would help their financial situation. Like, Trevor's mom quit her job to work at the shop, which didn't seem like the best decision. Unfortunately, the plan backfired because construction ran behind schedule. Which is what always happens. Yeah, and their financial situation actually got worse. However, just 48 hours after seeing The Rock for the first time, the family's luck changed dramatically. So good thing they saw that rock. We gotta find a rock, you guys. We we could really use one. (laughs) The first thing that happened is that the owner of the new mall called and said that he wanted them to open a thousand square foot foot shop in the mall, and this guy even agreed to foot the bill for the inventory, which is, you know, that was good luck. Three weeks later, they opened a dress shop, which was a huge success. It looks really awful. <laughs> Three days after that, <laughs> it looked so, like, dank and dusty and dark. It looks, it's for a new shop. I was like, this doesn't look great, but there was a lot of, you know, customers, so I guess. But then, I mean, I guess it worked out for them, but I just wrote, sorry, this store looks awful. <laughs> Steve, I'm a judgmental bee. But Steve, Trevor's dad, was offered a job managing the mall's only movie theater. The mall's owners were so impressed with Steve that in less than a month, they let him buy the theater outright for a low price. And that the movie theater is a one-screen theater, and if they sh- if it's true what they showed in the reenactment, it was showing Willow, the movie Willow, <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> it just says Willow on the oh marquee. My Amazing. Amazing. Three months and one day after he saw The Rock, Steve opened a candy store, which was his third successful business. And then shortly before the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast, the Johnsons were offered a five-bedroom house rent-free for four years in exchange for making repairs to the house. Because clearly the house is haunted. Uh, Yeah. Why else is someone making this deal? Uh Uh-huh. Or the magic rock. (laughs) Worked its magic on their oh, life. Oh. So the Johnsons are convinced that it was the rock that was responsible for their good fortune and not simply their hard work and dedication. <laughs> so Unsolved Mysteries has an archaeologist examine the rock. And the archaeologist, get ready to be shocked, folks, determined that, and Robert Stack calls them petroglyphs, were not carved by Native Americans. What? In fact, the archaeologist believes that the symbols were made in this century and have no religious or magical significance. Oh no. <laughs> My world just came crashing down. 
How can that possibly be true? I, how could it just be? That guy's face, like, really? You brought me out here to look at this. <laughs> like, what? I have like, better really? things to do. Do you think that was I'm trying the to get tenure. No. Actually, this is my theory about this episode. 100% made up. <laughs> I don't believe one second of it. I think. This is an Unsolved Mysteries conspiracy theory. Yes, I am. I think that too many segments are downers and they wanted something to lighten it up a little bit. They're like, we're tired of dead bodies in ravines and dead four-year-olds in TV boxes. We need a happy story. And then people are like, happy stories aren't really that mysterious. And they just invented this rock story. <laughs> that is my theory. I don't believe any it of it. It could I be true. It could be true. I don't believe this family thinks. I don't even think they think this. They're, I don't believe in the they're rock. They're just actors. I think they're just actors. I don't think any of this is even remotely true. I think they just wanted a feel-good story for once because if most we, of it is so depressing. If we don't have a cease and desist letter in the mail, it's coming now. <laughs> You're accusing Unsolved Mysteries of fabricating Look, a magic rock story. They say at the beginning of everything, this is not a news broadcast. It's true. So That's I true. Think, they, they don't claim that this is real. I yeah. Guess, but. So I think, yeah, I, don't, I think these are actors. They're probably not even a family. They probably don't even have a candy store. Uh, yeah, probably. So the very end of the segment is basically the Johnsons don't believe what the archaeologist said. And we jump to a scene again with Steve sitting by the creek and we hear the soft flute music. <laughs> and he's stroking the rock and looking at it with gratitude in his eyes. I want us to find the rock. Do you think we would be good at running a candy store together? Uh, we just eat all the candy. Yeah. I would be terrible at running a candy store. I don't know about you. You'd probably do fine. No, I would just, you'd be like, no. Samantha, stop eating all the candy. We need to sell that. I mean, I think after a while we'd get, probably get sick of candy and just hate the whole enterprise. Yeah, that's actually, that's probably true. <laughs> the very last part of this is that Robert Stack says that most of us would call what the Johnsons experienced a coincidence. But who knows? Sometimes the line between coincidence and something more is an unsolved mystery. And then he dropped the mic. <laughs> he looks like he was going to burst out laughing the whole much. time. He just had this like twitchy smile on his face. Yeah. He's like, I can't smile and let everyone know I think this is ridiculous. I think it's because he knows it's all a lie. He is wearing a terrible outfit for this segment. Yeah. His jacket and pants totally clash. I don't know who oh dressed my God. him. I think I wrote down that Robert Stack finally ditched the suit jacket, but he has really high-waisted pants. He looks awful. This is a, the worst we've seen him look. <laughs> And I think he was like, I can't take this seriously. This is about a stupid rock. Oh, this is one of, I mean, this in the Kurt McFall case. This is what it's all about, Some folks. of our favorites. You have to watch this magic rock thing because it's so funny. the idea that this was put on television as a true story is just so funny. So, so amazing. But, you know, maybe it's true. Maybe the rock had magic The powers. fact that they didn't even really kind of claim where the rock was also <laughs> seems like a red. It's just by the Canadian they border. They don't want everyone going out there, Liz. <laughs> How? If this rock really had magic powers, though, like, we need to harness it. Yeah, like, pass why it around. Like, everyone the in the country. family get to keep it all from themselves? That's with what their, yeah. their small business empire in this mall, <laughs> which they couldn't even, like, let one business succeed. They had to immediately acquire more and more. <laughs> Because of The Rock. This is a monopoly. Yeah. (laughs) Share the wealth. Don't just say it's by the Canadian. At least tell me what state it's in. Is it in Minnesota? the number one podcast on iTunes. Yeah. That's what we're going to use The Rock for. Since I spend a lot of this podcast talking about places Samantha and I should go, that brings me to the subject of King Spa, which is a Korean spa. There's a few (laughs) locations of it. Does it have magic rocks? It does have magic rocks. What? So 
There's one in Niles, Illinois. I think there's one in New Jersey and one in Houston. They're gigantic Korean, we love Korean skincare. They're giant Korean spas that you can stay at 24 hours. You can sleep there. You can get food there. They give you little uniforms (laughs) when you check in and then you get like a card or something. So you can just like keep paying for services. You can get your dinner. You can like sleep in a recliner and it has all these different sauna rooms. So some of them are like salt walls. They all have like different Okay, okay. Properties. One has like a giant pyramid in it. Oh, where's the Korean face mask, sheet mask room? Yeah, that I don't know. But the reason <laughs> that better, I would be in the whole that time. better be a room. But the I want reason, a body mask. You know, it just covers my whole body. The reason I brought it up is because while Samantha and I were constantly talking about this magic rock, I learned of King Spa, a place I have never been, and therefore cannot recommend. But It does have what they call the base rock room. For an extra $5, you can go in the base. What a steal. You can go in the base rock room, which is a facility patented by Mr. Ono, which is exclusive only to Japan, Chicago, and Dallas, and not even available in South Korea. The ground is made of stones, which are good for walking on and relieving the stress that has built up. However, the main attraction is the mineral stone imported from Japan called Soraka that is said to have amazing healing abilities. The stone slab is surrounded by amethyst crystals and wormwood coal. And you like lie on like a hot stone bed with this like magic rock healing you. <laughs> I so want to go. If we go there, will we then become the number one podcast on iTunes? I or mean, will it maybe? just cleanse us from it just, like, all the toxins? It really more just talks about like healing properties, but. Okay. Well, that's fine too. Yeah, there's like a. There's For $5, a I would pyramid lay there all day. room, salt room, an ice room, a charcoal room, an amethyst room. There's a there's one that has like infrared rays. Oh. I, I really. If anyone has gone, please let me know about it. It sounds. We need to start planning our road amazing. trip. Amazing. Right now. Yeah, I I, we don't even need a hotel. We can just sleep at the spa. Yeah, perfect. And eat Korean food. It sounds delightful. Yeah. Okay, sorry. That was a total aside. I'm... I just wanted to bring up the, uh, the presence. Now of... I just want to stop what I'm doing and start planning this trip. Oh, there are magic rocks that I stumbled oh upon. That's pretty much it for the episode. Let's make sure we rate oh, it. Oh my goodness, we need to rate it. So, categories. Mm-hmm. Mysteriousness. Pretty mysterious. Pretty mysterious? We have two unsolved murders. Mm -hmm. Lost Love's not mysterious, but an interesting story. Uh, Magic Rock? Magic Rock, is that mysterious? (laughs) I mean, why is it included? (laughs) That's a mystery. Why is Robert Sack wearing that outfit? That's a mystery. Sure. Why does this family believe that even though they've been working their ass off, (laughs) the reason that they have success is because of a rock. The one time their life doesn't completely suck, they're like, it's not us, it's a rock. (laughs) Um, So I'm thumbs up for the the murder mysteries. Um, Reenactments. I love these reenactments. Yes. I love even the Kurt Sova case, the fashion in that is great, Mm -hmm. Um, which we're not talking about fashion, but it all bleeds together. But really... But the costume design for the reenactments, I mean, yeah. just spot on. So good. Yeah. The Magic um, Rock reenactments. It's really just all beat. about the reg. I liked seeing a little bit of New Mexico, and I love a family gazing adoringly at a rock. That's what I want to watch. <laughs> it's so great. And it kind of made it seem like that's where they would go have their family picnics, was like around the rock. <laughs> well, if a rock changes your life that much, 
I, I, I guess bring you it would. offerings. I light candles for it. I don't it know. Seems like you could probably bring it home, but maybe it was just so big. Yeah, it was like wedged in a creek, sort of. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Fashion. But, a plus. Lots Loved of denim. Oh, that was a thumbs up for reenactments. Absolutely. Yeah. Two thumbs up. As many thumbs as we have. Yeah. Extra thumbs. We'll go buy some more thumbs. <laughs> Fashion. A lot of denim. Loved it. Yeah. The outfits were pretty great. The outfits were pretty great. The dress shop that the Johnson family offer- opened was terrible, but you do get to see some good mall walk-in looks. That's true. Uh, when you go to the, the candy store or the movie theater that only shows Willow. That's true. So, <laughs> Thumbs yeah. up. Thumbs fashion up. fashion, too. Um, Robert Stack's outfits. I mean, I appreciated that he finally found something to wear that wasn't a suit, even though his pants were Thumbs as down. high as I, it gets. I hated it. But, yeah, not great. Not great at all. Thumbs, no. thumbs down. Thumbs down. But overall, my rating is five out of five, Robert Stack. Oh, my God. I can't yes. give it anything else. The yes. Magic Rock episode is so, or segment is so good. If I was, of episodes we've watched two, so far, I don't know if I would tell people they have to watch the Kurt McFall one or they have to watch the Magic Rock more. Like, they're just. They're both so good. They're both so good. You, so good. Yeah. Five out of five, you know, 10 out of 10, all, a million out of a million. All yeah. the Robert Stacks. All the Robert Stacks. All of them. <laughs> So Liz, do you have a recommendation? Yes, I do have a recommendation for this week. I'm going to go into Samantha territory and recommend my new favorite podcast, which is called The Fat Feminist Witch. I already love it. (laughs) Yeah, great title. It is hosted by Paige in Canada, who is a Wiccan. Um, She has a very great, like, conversational, approachable style to her podcast. It has a great tone. And I feel like she talks about her witchy practices in a very, like, understandable way, like a good, relatable way. I really recommend her Halloween specials. So I haven't listened to all of her episodes yet, but I have been pouring through them. They're really fascinating. I feel like I've learned a lot. Last year, she did a Halloween special um, sort of explaining like witch cliches and where they come from in history, Ooh. which was so interesting. Like, why do we think witches fly? Why do we think witches wear pointy hats? Why oh. do witches have black hats? All I that kind of stuff. Right now, that sounds great. It's really great. Her Halloween special that came out last week was about um, seances and talking to the dead and sort of the Victorian heyday of seances and that kind of stuff super interesting i love it yes she usually recommends like a stone and an herb that you can use in spells she does book reviews i think it's a good way to sort of learn more about what people actually do opposed to what we might think witches do in a in like a i don't know like in a modern understandable way I found it totally fascinating. I think I've learned a lot. And she just seems cool. Say the name again. It's called The Fat Feminist Witch. You can find it, I'm assuming, on iTunes. Yeah, I think anywhere. She has a blog. And I think it's on all of your favorite podcasty apps. That's great. That is my, I highly, I've been telling everyone to listen to that. So check it out. I love it. I'm definitely going to subscribe. Do. Very cool. So my recommendation is a book I just finished. Oh. And I'm going to give it kind of a hesitant recommendation because I think it's the kind of book that you're either going to love or you're going to hate. Sure. So if you hate it, it inspires passion. Don't blame me. It's sci-fi, which is a genre of books that I really like. 
And it's one that's been on my list for a long time. It's very popular, so it's not obscure or anything. It is called Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. And the reason I read it was because they're making a movie. Actually, the movie's, oh, okay. the movie's done. It's coming out in February. So I thought, well, I'm going to want to see the movie, so I should read the book first. It's a trilogy, so this is the first part of the trilogy. And the reason I think, well, let me read the, the synopsis. So I don't know that I totally agree with this, but it says that if J.J. Abrams, Margaret Atwood, and Alan Wiseman collaborated on a novel, it might be this awesome. Hmm. I don't totally agree with that, but... <laughs> Gives you a sort of an idea. Sure. Area X has been cut off from the rest of the continent for decades. Nature has reclaimed the last vestiges of human civilization. The first expedition returned with reports of pristine Edenic landscape. All the members of the second expedition committed suicide. The third expedition died in a hail of gunfires as its members turned on one another. The members of the 11th expedition returned to the shadows of their former selves. And within months of their return, all had died of aggressive cancer. This is the 12th expedition. The group is made up of four women, an anthropologist, a surveyor, a psychologist, the de facto leader, and a biologist, who is our narrator. Hmm. The mission is, goes on to say a little bit about the book, but it's really good. I really liked it. The reason I think some people won't like it is because the narrator is really unreliable, and at times you don't know if what she's telling you is real. Oh, no, I like that. I like an unreliable If it's part of her imagination. Yeah. A lot of the complaints on the Goodreads reviews say that they don't like that. I really liked it. It's surreal and kind of cerebral, which I I like. Yeah. And it's part of a trilogy. So a lot of people complain about how, like, they don't feel like it had a satisfactory ending, blah, 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 which is not a spoiler. Um, But it's, you have to read the rest of the trilogy. Like I, right. You're kind of only reading a third of the book in a way. Right. It's I, I think, and I haven't gone on, I downloaded the second book, but just by reading like the, the synopsis of that book, I think it's going to start answering some of the questions you're left with after this book, which is how trilogies work. So I don't know what people are complaining about, but I really liked it. Every character is a female. That has my interest peaked immediately. The descriptions, like the uh, author just has really good descriptions, like, you know, which is something that I appreciate in sci-fi or fantasy novels because they're often describing things that aren't real, you know? So he describes things in a way that's unique but really paints a vivid picture. So I really enjoyed, if nothing else, I enjoyed just sort of the poetic way that he describes. Yeah. The, and kind of builds the world, you know? It's good. I listened to the audiobook. The narrator for the audiobook is a little monotone, which kind of distracted me at times. I got a, like I found myself sort of okay. Like my mind wandered a little bit when I was listening to this, and not because of the book itself, but I think it was because of the narrator. Sure. So be aware of that if you listen to books. It's short. It's a short read. The audiobook was like five five hours, which is oh, really, which yeah. is really short. So I think you could easily consume it in a couple sittings. I already downloaded the second one. It looks like it's going to be good. The I watched the trailer for the movie that's coming out, and it looks very interesting. Hmm. Not how I pictured it at all, but... Yeah, see, that's why you gotta read it first. Exactly. Because you gotta... Otherwise, you're just kind of picturing the movie. Yeah. But not in a bad way. Like, sometimes you read a book and then you see the movie adaptation and you're like, I hate how this is depicted. It's not how I imagined it. But I didn't feel that way watching the trailer. It's gonna star Natalie Portman, which is also not how I imagined the main character, but I think she's gonna probably do a good job based on the trailer I saw. So yeah, I would recommend Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. The trilogy is the Southern Reach trilogy. Okay. And if you read sci-fi, you probably have read this book or at least know about it. Um, if you if you don't read sci-fi, I recommend it. I really, yeah, maybe a little something new. It's one of my favorite genres because like I've said before, there's often very little romance. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Samantha's I'm, dead 
dedication to hating romance and hating treasure. Because I'm a cold-hearted Urgh. bitch. And I hate romance. <laughs> she only wants <laughs> mysteries and, yeah. It's almost... The reason I like this book, too, is because it reads like a thriller, which sometimes sci-fi novels don't. So. Sure. Okay, here's my question. There's sometimes a barrier between me and... I like sci-fi, too, but it, I'm picky about it. Sure, sure. What I hate in a sci-fi book is when they, like, make up words about the world, and then they're like, he picked up a click-clack, which we might call a fork. I don't know Do you know what I'm talking about? That drives me insane. (laughs) Would you call that? Okay, so I'm not, like, a hardcore science fiction person. I think a hardcore science fiction person would say that that's not sci-fi. Maybe that's Real science fiction has to be grounded in real science, in a way. Like, not totally, but, like, enough that it sounds realistic. Sure. Like, that almost sounds fantasy to me. Yeah, I, it is more of a fantasy Which I'm trope. not the biggest fan no, of fantasy. No, me neither. Yeah. But. I mean, I guess in general, I mostly have read Philip K. Dick, um, which he doesn't do that usually. But sure. um, I feel like sometimes when I pick up an author I don't know, I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't need to know everything about this alien life. Some science fiction authors go crazy with the scientific details I guess in I'm a way not... that it starts to sound like, am I reading a textbook? <laughs> like yeah, that, I guess that's what I mean. I'm not super into world building. Sure. Like I like science fiction, I guess more in like a Twilight Zone way where it's an allegory for something that is rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for like this whole other thing where I have to learn whatever. Yeah, you feel like you have to learn. Yeah. <laughs> you have to study like a lot in of order work. to get it. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's what I'm not. If I, I need it. to like know the order of the planets in some other solar system, then I'm like, nope. Like, I can't this is, do it. Yeah, I can't do it. That's I a get lot it. of work. I get it. I feel the same way sometimes. Yeah, as a consumer of sci-fi, totally. This one I feel like isn't very much like that, so you might like it. Okay, I'm intrigued for yeah. sure. That's our episode. Thank yep. you for listening, five listeners. We appreciate all the support. You can follow us on the social medias. You can email us at. Perhaps it's you podcast at Gmail. Yes. We are still looking for creepy, spooky stories if something yeah. weird has happened to you. Please or if you've gone to King's Paw. <laughs> or if you've seen a magic rock of if some kind. If you have kind. a favorite Korean face mask that you want to recommend. Oh my God, we'll please take let that. us know. Get in touch. <laughs> please let us know. Truly though, we would love to hear your guys' mysteries and do bonus episodes. Yeah. I think that would be really fun. We've still had, we had a few stragglers for our Halloween episode send us some spooky stories. So we have one or two. We'd love... Other stories, though, and it doesn't have to be spooky. It could be a murder mystery in your town or your family's legend. Like, we'd love to hear all about that. The time your mom saw a UFO. Like, send us those stories. We would love to read them. Any sort of paranormal account, any sort of you are on a jury and a weird thing happened at the trial. Yeah. Yeah. Send us anything. Even if you think we're not going to like it, we probably will. We probably will. send it. Yeah. Because we'd love to do... We're not nearly as picky as we seem. No. (laughs) We'd love to do bonus episodes. (laughs) If your family has a magic rock... Yeah. If your Please tell us. ...changed for the better suddenly after seeing a rock... I promise we won't make fun of you that much. We'll try really hard not to. (laughs) That's what I promise. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us out. We need that ego boost. It helps us out personally and it helps out the podcast. (laughs) So true. So get out there, solve some mysteries. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye.